Well, Saman, I want to thank you for taking a little bit of time to chat with us. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down and hear a lot about your story, and I so enjoyed hearing about your testimony and hearing about just who, who you are. And so thank you for taking a little bit of time to share with us. So tell us a little bit about yourself. As you said, my name is Saman, uh, background Muslim, but now I'm a Christian, lived in the Philippines for six years, and now living in the United States. Okay, so you, you're a Christian who was born a Muslim. You were born in Iran. Yes. Correct what city? In uh, Shiraz. And tell us about your family. Uh, my family are religious people. They, they are a devoted Muslim mm -hmm. that we are practicing Islam completely. I, I want to take just a little bit of time, Saman, to, to chat with you about Islam. And I want to have permission, if that's okay, to ask you some questions about the Islamic faith that will help us as believers not only understand, but to, to understand how to how to love and how to reach others that may be a little bit uh, different, that may be difficult uh, to, uh, to understand. And so thank you for an opportunity to ask some of those questions. I, I kind of want to get started by, by having you explain to us what makes a Muslim a Muslim. What, help us understand the mindset of a Muslim person. Okay, so for that to be able to understand, I suggest to understand the word Muslim. The word Muslim comes from basically it's an Arabic word that means that a person who is following Islam. Following Islam means the person who is completely devoted and submitted to Allah. Mm. So that's exactly how, what makes a Muslim become Muslim. But in the traditional way, when a, ba when a child born, they start to put, they start saying something which is called azan in his or her ears, and that person become Muslim. Mm. So if you are from a family who are Muslim, you do not have, you do not have the right to choose are you Muslim or you want to be something else? But if you are want to become Islam Muslim, then all you need to do is that there is a specific prayer which you say it, and then that's become your Muslim. And so then, so when we say Muslim, we're talking about something so much bigger than just religious practices, correct? I mean, what is the what does it mean then to to be a Muslim? How does that affect your whole your whole life? It's basically, you have to remember that Islam called it itself as a complete religion. That is why it is taking control of everything. Not only your spiritual life, not only your moral life, but also about the government, also about all the kind of law that you can have. It's going to take care of everything. So it's not just something that you think about it, okay, Islam is all about spiritual life. No, it's way bigger, as you said. Mm -hmm. It's everything. If someone knew nothing about Islam, what are the parts of Islam that, um, that, someone, that we, it would be important for someone to understand, to really understand what it means to be Muslim? Uh, basically, there are pillars that they're talking about, and also, but the most important is that, that's what we call Tawhid. Tawhid is basically representing that Allah is one, and he's the only one, so he's the only God. And then after that, Muhammad is his prophet, is the final and the last prophet, and Islam is the final and the complete religion. Why then, uh, because we see and, and we read about the spread of uh, this Islamic faith across the world, why, why do you believe, why is Islam the fastest growing religion in the world? What is it about it that makes it appealing? I think for that one, we have to understand who are the people who are becoming Muslim. You will realize that when you study and then you go through their life, you will realize there are the people who are not exactly a deep seeker. Mm. They are not exactly who go and find a deep study, which is the most 
majority of the people around the world are the people who do not want to study something deep, who do not want to big search, and they just want to have a faith. Mm -hmm. And the easiest one to understand is Islam, because Islam, Quran, is written in such a way that if you, do, if you want to translate it for yourself, mm -hmm. you want to understand it for yourself, you, depends on who you are, you will understand it differently. Mm -hmm. That's something specific about Quran. Mm -hmm. It is not clear in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So it gives you freedom to choose your own understanding, uh -huh. and that's make the pre different type of people to like it. Saman, you were, you were mentioning that, uh, that part of being Muslim is studying the Quran. Many people do not <laughs> study it to the extent that you did, but as you were studying, something happened in there. You began to read some things about Jesus that began to, to pique your interest in something more. So tell us about that. Okay, so I born as a Muslim in a Muslim family. I grew up as a devoted Muslim, and I studied Quran up to the age 27 five times. I read com complete Quran in the Arabic and in the Persian language five times, and I studied very well. But there is something that I want to admit. When you are living in a Muslim country, the Muslim leaders are teaching you which part of Quran to focus, which part of Quran not to focus. And that is why we have different type of leaders and then you basically follow, you choose one of them and you follow them. When I moved out of Iran, I was doing apologetic for Islam and I was defending Islam in front of other faiths. So, so let me start, so you, you were studying the Quran in order to defend, it. To defend yes. the truth there. And so you, who were you defending? Who are you defending it to? Okay. So if you remember around 2008, social media get strongly active and people are free to write whatever they want in social media. And because of the, some people are hate Islam, so start writing things about it. And I was the one who going around and I was answering the questions or I was debating with different people about Islam. And because of that, I start to tell myself that I need to increase my knowledge about Quran even bigger than what I have. And that was the time that I told myself, because for Muslim, Quran is a holy book. You are not allowed to touch it. You are not allowed to write anything in it. And you have to be careful about it. But for me at that moment, I just said, I know this is holy book, but I'm gonna, I wanna study it. So I wanna take note. I wanna write down, uh, I wanna mark it. I wanna highlight it. I wanna put down those stuff. And I wanna find out exactly what it's talking about. And I wanna believe that this book is really the right book. And reading that one was, gave me a different perspective about Quran. You were reading to see if this is in fact a holy book and a right book. And then what, what happened? What did you read that began uh, that spiritual journey for you? Although I was reading it to find out if it is the holy book, but in my mindset, in my belief because of 27 years of studying it, I believe it's a right book. So I was a little bit biased about it. But what happened was that I end up to the point, Surah 3, or basically chapter 3, verse 55, Allah is speaking to Muhammad and he's telling Muhammad, remember that I promised Jesus that I will exalt him, I will bring him high with myself. And then it continued, but it ended with this part that Allah is, prom Allah is reminding Muhammad that he promised Jesus that the follower of Jesus will be higher than all known believers until the end of the time, which is end of the time in Quran used as a word qiyamat, which qiyamat means that the last moment of the time, the judgment day. So if you read it in translation nowadays, you will realize that they put in parentheses, if 
the follower of Jesus believe in Muhammad. But in the original Arabic text, there is no if, there is no condition. And that was a verse that brought me to the point that why I didn't see this verse ever in my life. It is giving a promise to the Jesus that the follower of Jesus will be higher than all known believers. If this is a God who knows the future, so these people who call themselves Christians should be higher than all known believers. So they, they have a specific value that God made this promise to them. God never made the same promise even to the Muslim. Muslims have so many conditions to remain higher than all known believers, but this is a promise that God protect the follower of Jesus. And that brought me to question why God made this promise. And so as you were questioning why God made that promise, tell us what, what happened next? What did you do? So during that time, I already, uh, I already is, I was doing studying on Baha'i faith, Zoroastrian, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, and agnosticism. So I studied all of those things. But when I reached the point that it said also in Quran that if you want to believe in Muhammad, you need to accept all the prophet before. And Jesus in Quran is a prophet before Muhammad. And my question to myself was that, what does that mean to accept a person as a prophet? A person who has its own book, a person who there are books about him, do I know him or I just accept him because his name was in Quran? So I came to myself, I said, I want to study and I want to know him. Because there is, you will realize when you read Quran, Jesus is different from any other prophet, even from Muhammad himself. Jesus is the only one who born as a prophet and who died as a sinless person, even in the Quran. And that promise, I wanted to know why God made that promise to them. And so then, at, at some point, you, you then move from Iran. Your family had come to the States, correct? And you were not able to come to the States. Tell us about how then did you, did you end up in other places in the world, and what did, what did God do there? Uh, actually, that was like a God miracle by himself because I had to come to U.S. long time ago, but because of uh, September 11, the Twin Tower, uh, United States canceled all the immigration for two years and slowed it down again for another two years. And then when my mom and my dad received their green card, I was already above 21 years old. And the law said that I have to wait for another nine years. So while I was waiting in Iran and my family were in US, my dad asked me to study my master anywhere else in the world. And I supposed to go to Malaysia, but one of the family, one of the friend actually came back from Philippines and told my mom, let him come with me to the Philippines. And in 24 days I was in Philippines. And that was 2008 that I started to study in Ateneo de Manila and also working in a company. And so you move and you're, you're still searching, you're still reading the Quran, you're studying the Bible, you're trying to understand who, who Jesus is and why these teachings in the Quran would say his followers will be exalted above yes. everyone else. And then so you get into the Philippines and... It took me up to 2010 that I do so many studies and there were so many questions in my mind. One of the biggest questions for me was that based on Quran, Jesus never died. But when I did the research, no matter what kind of branch of Christianity you look for, even if you're going to Catholic or any kind of people who believe that they are a follower of Jesus, right or wrong, they all believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
even in the historical book, it is written that Jesus died. So Quran is the only book that's standing against all things around the world that said Jesus never died. Even Hinduism, they are saying that there was a teacher called Jesus and he died. So Quran is the only one that said he never died. And that was my big question. And then come to the point that did he ever die and rose again or not? And I end up in this one of Surah Maryam, basically, because Surah has a name. So there is this Surah Maryam, which is about the mother of Jesus and what happened to there. Uh, so when she gave birth to Jesus, based on Quran, she fast from speaking, she fast from talking, and she come back to the temple. And when they ask her, who is this guy? Who is this baby? And then she point to the baby, and the baby started speaking and introducing himself as the Messiah and as the promised Messiah. And they were all amazed. In the last moment, when he's finishing his sentence, he finished it with this small sentence, and he said, swear to the day that I born, swear to the day that I will die, swear to the day that I will raise again. And that is, was that, that is actually an extraordinary sentence written in Quran, which Muslims try to avoid it, and then now there's a group of Muslims which saying that Jesus will come back one day, he will die and raise again. That's what he's talking about. But it's not in Quran that Jesus will come back at all. It's something that people added to it. So that was my question. Why, if he was talking about himself, why he swear to his dead and resurrection? Why should he swear to it? That means that he was completely sure that he will die and raise again based on Quran on the moment that he was just a child. So you're studying the Quran. It's just so fascinating that you, you're you're being introduced and you're, God, God is softening your heart, mm -hmm. it sounds like, to who Jesus was and the, and the life that he lived and, and what his purpose here on earth was. And so as you're searching for that, where, what, where did that take you then next? How did, what, where did that search naturally take you? And, and then ultimately, how did you meet Jesus? So uh, when I was looking for all of these things, I end up to myself, it was exactly January 2010 that I said, I want to go to a church and I want to know what's happening there. Uh, amazingly, I lived in Philippines, which is 90% Catholic people, and there are so many Catholic churches everywhere. There are also Christian churches, but I asked a friend of mine who was living in another city, completely in another city, and I asked her, do you know any good church? I want to go there. I want a church that is rooted in Bible, and I want a church that teach me about Bible properly, because that's what I'm searching. And then she told, she said, I don't know what I'm going to look for you. She asked other people, which I don't know she, who she asked, and then she ended up telling me that there is this church near to your house, and it took me, honestly, two hours to find the church because the church doesn't have any, like, sign or something. I went to the church, I went to CCF, and... CCF is the Christ name of, the name Commission of the okay. Fellowship is the name of the church, so it's the stand, CCF stand for. So I went there, and... It was the first Sunday of 2010. What I can admit is that when we sang the worship song, it gave me a completely different feeling, spiritual feeling, that I never had that feeling in my entire life. What do, you, what do you mean by that? It gave me a different, it gave me a different feeling. In Islam, you pray five times a day, but you say the same thing that you were saying from child time until death. 
exactly the same thing you repeated five times and for the rest of your life. But when I was singing, it was like what I want to tell God, what I want to say to him is the one that I'm singing. Rather than I am forced to say specific things that he chose for me, this, this music, this worship song can be from my heart of my feeling for the God that I'm searching for. So that it touched me a lot. And I had a feeling that there is a presence here. There is a presence in the church that I never felt that presence ever in my entire life. It's so hard to explain how I felt that presence, but I could feel it. I could feel it in the people who were worshiping God. I could feel it, I could see it that these people, because growing up in Islam, I saw so many people doing five times prayer, but they are not even, they, they know, they are not even thinking what they are saying. Most of them, they are not speaking even Arabic, but the prayer that they're saying is Arabic. They don't understand what they're saying. But here, the people are with all their heart, you could, you, I could see that with all their heart, they are saying, they were singing for God. And that was really touched me a lot. At that, at that point in time, what, what was your spiritual state? What, how would you identify I, what you were in that, in that moment? Before that, I was a searching person. But right after that moment, I can call myself a confused of what is the real truth and what does it mean to worship God. So then what, how, did, how did that confusion then clear up? What, what were those, what did, what did God do? What things did God bring into your life? Or who did God bring into your life that, that allowed those confusing things to, to become clear? I think one of the things that God did to me, I went to the church on the first Sunday of 2010 and for the whole January of 2010, that church was going through a series of the end time and speakers were all talk about Islam and I was so offended. I wanted to go, there were, there were times that I was like, I wanna go talk to this pastor. He doesn't know Islam very well because I was so offended for the first time. But what was amazing is that that spiritual feeling was bringing me back to the Sunday service every single Sunday. I was, being, I was called back, I was waking up, I was ready, and I was like, I want to go there. That's what I want for my Sunday. What amazed me is that when I started studying Bible, I realized that there is so much lie that I lived with and Muslims are living with, and they don't know. For example, they are teaching us that we have four gospel, because based on Islam, Jesus is one of the five prophets who wrote a book and we have four gospel, and we have only five prophets who wrote the book. When I had my first Bible, I realized it's 66 books. It is not only four gospel, and the gospel is not written by the hand of Jesus at all, and Jesus never wrote a book. And what I realized, we didn't have five prophets. Perhaps Nuha is one of the prophets that Islam is saying that he wrote a book, but he never wrote a book. Abraham is one of the other one, but he never wrote a book. But while we realized that Isaiah wrote a book, and what really amazed me and brought me to a point is that from the beginning of the history to the time of the revelation, every single book in those 66 books are pointing exactly the same thing. It is you're following a path, they're they are so connected, they're so aligned, they're talking about everything. But when you put Quran 
I couldn't place Quran as a 67 book because it was not aligned at all. I was taught that in Bible, Jesus is talking about Muhammad, where I saw in the Bible, Jesus is saying that after him, there will be so many false prophets. So those are my questions, that how can those things happen? The other big things for me is that Quran never introduced God as love. Quran never introduced God as a person who loves sinners. He actually introduced Allah as a person who hates sinners. Now, when I talk about Bible, Bible is talking about God who is love. Bible is talking about God who loves us when we were sinners. So I question myself, how can be these two, these 66 books and this one book, written by the control of the same God, while in 66, he introduced himself as love. He's showing act of love, while in the other one, there is no love at all. Isn't it amazing how, how drawn we are to a message of love? Yes. And so, so as, you're drawn, as, as, you're, as you're drawn to that message, you're hearing a message that's different mm -hmm. than what you've been taught up to that point for the past couple decades. And that, that, that obviously began to not only draw you more and more, and you, I know you had shared with me that you began then to meet some people. You kind of went away mm -hmm. to a retreat experience. Yes. And what, you know, what, what happened there? Somewhere? Okay. Uh, on March 2010 was the moment that when pastor asked to bring your hands up and pray. After the message, when he finished the message, he was asking if anybody wants to pray to Jesus and accept Jesus and invite Jesus to his heart, bring his hands up. I have to, I want to put a pause here and put a flashback. Around two weeks before that, when I was talking to my sister, who I didn't meet for 13 years on that moment, and she was living in the United States, and I told her that between us, I don't want to tell anybody because we are so close, I'm going to church. She suddenly shouted and she said, don't tell anybody, I got baptized weeks before that and I was shocked I was shocked that my sister got baptized I didn't know at all that she's going to the church I didn't know that she accepted Jesus I didn't know that she got baptized so the moment that the pastor asked bring your hands up I had this strange feeling that if my sister is standing beside me she's encouraging me to bring my hands up because from the time that I told her she was the most encouraging so I brought my hands up I prayed the prayer but I didn't know what happened. I didn't know what does that mean. And I didn't know anything. The funny things that happened, we talk about my work. The funny thing that happened is that two weeks after that, when the speaker come on the stage, I look at the speaker and I said, that can't be true because the speaker was my boss. The, the boss of the company, basically the president of the company that I was working for two years, and I didn't know that. He is speaking. On Monday, I approached him and I told him, how come you were speaking in CCF? And he was like, are you going to CCF? I was like, yeah, I'm going to CCF. He was like, aren't you Muslim? I was like, uh, let's talk about that later. <laughs> it was so fascinating for me because Man Metro Manila is a huge city. It's the most congested city in the world. It's, I think, around 20 million people. And the place that I was working was around 40 minutes distance from the church that I was going. And I never thought that's going to be the same 
places. And I never thought a senior pastor owned a business. And I told myself, God, this is kind of impossible to put it in probability. In a country that there are so many churches, in every square, in every intersection, there is one church. In every street, there are two or three churches. I end up in the same church that I was working for two years. His name of, uh, the name of the president of the company is Paul. So anyway, I pray to that, uh, I pray to God, but it didn't make a big change, but it makes me to become close to Paul. And then one day, it was around August, I was going down from the stairs, and he approached me and he showed me a piece of paper and there was a man running and uh, it was like a man who is running and under, his, under that it said G dash race. And I look at it and he said, do you wanna join? I was like, okay, I'm gonna join. And I ran because on that time I was working on my thesis and I had to finish my thesis proposal. So on Monday at work, I asked my friends, so guys, uh, G race, is it 5K, 4K, 10K? <laughs> And they look at me and I was like, what do you mean by these things? I was like, it's a marathon run, right? So how many kilometers we have to run? I want to practice. And he was like, no, it's not a marathon. It's a retreat. And I was like, what does the word retreat means? <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> so they started explaining that you're going to go out of the city for two days and we're going to go through some Bible studies and stuff like that, but there are so many other activities. And I told them, oh, okay, when is that? It was on Saturday and Sunday. And then right that moment, I called Paul and said, I have to cancel it because on Monday, I had my thesis proposal defend. So I called him, I cannot do it because I have to prepare for my defend and that's four years of studying to get my master and I have to finish it properly. He understood and he said, it's okay, just if you change your mind, tell me. But what happened was that before my mock defense, which was two Friday before the retreat, on the night, my girlfriend broke up with me. And in the morning when I went to do my proposal defend, I was defending what I presented so many times before. I was defending what I wrote a chapter of book on it. I was presenting what I wrote uh, ISI journal and two uh, international publication on top of it. So everybody was assuming that I completely know what I'm gonna talk about because I have so many publication on top of this topic and it's just presenting your proposal. I'm not even in the end part. But because I was broken heart, I failed my mock defense, which I was so down. And my professor came to me and he said, because of what you did before, we will give you two weeks delay and you do defend again. I got out of the room and I told myself two weeks and two days. God does not play with numbers. On that moment, I was 100% sure that Islam is not the faith that I'm following. And I was putting my faith in Jesus. But when I went to the retreat, in the retreat we had five messages. The first one was Father's love. The second one was sin. The third one was cross. The fourth one was baptism and exchange life. And the fifth one was uh, vision. When we talk about Father's love, I still remember uh, that after that message, I ran to the pastor. I, re I didn't have a USB card, but they removed my SD card from my camera and I gave it to the pastor and I said, I need the video and I need the PowerPoint of this slide because it was too amazing for me. When the pastor was talking about and he said that Jesus said that he never come to count our sin. In Islam, 
we were trained that there are two angels on our shoulder, one on the left, one on the right. One is writing the good thing, the other one is writing the bad thing. And when he said that Jesus didn't come to count your sin, I still remember that moment that I put my hand on my shoulder and I said, what are you guys doing on my shoulder? He didn't come to count my sin. Then why are you writing it down? Then the third message was the message of cross. And I praise God for Pastor Nathan because we went through every single detail of what happened during the crucifixion. Aside from why crucifixion should happen, we went to every single detail of what happened. And I could feel the pain. And I remember that after that message, when the breakout leader asked me, what did you see in the message? I told him, I, could, I might be able to grasp that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I cannot grasp how much Jesus loves us, that he still went through all this pain. When everybody asked him to come down, if you are the son of God, he said to himself that this is the past. He submitted to God and he remained there until he died and he said, it's finished. This is too big. This love is too big for me to understand. This love is too amazing for me to grasp it. And I remember that at night, uh, Paul asked me, do you want to get baptized? And I said, no, I, am, I believe in Jesus. Because if you're a Muslim and you become a Christian, the penalty is dead in the most Islamic country. And I told him, in my heart, I'm a Christian. And that's enough. And he said, yes. Baptism is just a public declaration of your faith. It's not what brings you to the heaven. What brings you to the heaven is your faith on Jesus. But baptism is a command. Are you willing to follow it or not? And I said, I can't. But, and I, it was night, this was around 9 p.m. I left the room and I started walking and I started praying. We were at the top of the hills. I started praying and I remember I was crying to God, what do you want me to do? Because the love of Jesus was too huge for me that I couldn't say no to him if he asked for anything. I came back. I hardly slept that night. In the morning, uh, actually, I remember that I put my, I hide myself under the blanket because I didn't want anybody to ask me to wake up. Everybody went for baptism. Then I picked up my camera. I went beside the pool to take some pictures because it was first time to see the baptism. And while I was taking the picture, I still remember that I started crying. And I told God, why me and my countrymen cannot be free? Why, look at these people, they are going getting baptized. Look at the joy. Everybody is screaming, everybody are joyful. They're gonna go back home, nothing gonna happen to them. They're gonna shout, they're gonna be super proud that shout to the world what they do. They are taking pictures, they are taking video, they are doing everything. But what about me? What about my countrymen? Because at that point, you were still, you were grappling with this decision to accept Jesus. I was, already was accepted Jesus. Right, but, but, but that, you, you said a minute ago that was something in the Quran that you knew was punishable by, so by death. I was, I knew that if I'm gonna publicly announce that I'm a Christian, then I have to give up my, I, I cannot go back to Iran because my penalty will be dead. And that was the most fear in me. It was a huge fear. And I remember while I was 
crying beside the pool. I left the pool because I was ashamed to cry beside the pool. So I left the pool and I never forget that moment when I left the pool, my skin started to get dry. My skin started to get dried and I was like, what is happening? The sun is so hot and I need, I felt that I need water on my skin. So I went back to the room and I wanted to take a shower with cold water so to feel better, but it couldn't satisfy me. So I was sitting down, I was thinking, what should I do, what should I do? And I said, okay, I know what to do. I'm gonna go swim after the baptism is finished. So I wear my swimsuit and everything and I start heading back towards the pool and I saw that the baptism is almost finished. And that was the moment that God spoke to my heart with a very beautiful question. And he said, am I not your savior? And that was the question that I couldn't answer. And I was like, I'm sure you are my savior. One of the things that I realized during my study of all religion is that during the history, there were people who claimed to be God. During the history, there were people who claimed to be prophet. During the history, there were people who claimed to be, doesn't believe in God or anything, but there is only one person who claimed to be the savior, and that's Jesus who never in the history claimed to be savior, never anybody claimed that I can save from sin. And that was only Jesus. And that's the question that he asked me. And I remember that I said, I do believe that you are my savior. And he said, why don't you trust me? And I told him, I trust you. And he said, if you trust me, then why don't you trust me that I can save you from your sin, but I cannot save you from the hand of the enemy. And I said, what do you want me to do? And he told me, go get baptized. So I moved towards the pool. From that moment until the time that I reached the pool, I don't remember what happened. I seriously do not remember how did I get there. But what I remember is that while I was entering the pool, there was a cameraman. I asked him, do not take any picture, please. So when I was going towards the pool, I was so scared. I was so scared and I was telling God, God, you know I am scared. There's so much fear in me, but I am doing this because you said so. Baptism is so fast. You go under the water and you come up. For me, it was not fast. When I went under the water, I didn't close my eyes. and I still remember seeing the sun from above the water as if it was the glory of God. And I remained in the water for such a long time. So many things changed there. I went under the water with so much fear that I was shaking, but I came out of the water fearless. I came out of the water with so much joy. I came out of the water with so much passion for Christ. And I, was, I came out of the water as if I knew the truth. I knew what the truth mean and I, and I believe in it. And I had, too joy, I had too much joy and energy that I remember it was lunch time. I didn't go for lunch and I'm 4 p.m. that the bus supposed to leave. So from that around, it was around 12 something or before 12. From that one time to 4 p.m. I was just running around singing worship song and praising God because of what he did. And I had that much joy and that joy never ever left me until today. And to think you thought it was a race. You thought it was a 5k, yes. a marathon. <laughs> and God spoke in such a powerful way yes. there. So tell us about your faith now. Uh, God is doing so many things in my life. 
from that moment till now, so many things change. Uh, I studied more and more. I love what Pastor Peter told me. He told me, try not to study about Bible too much. Try to study Bible by itself. And that's what I'm trying to do, reading Bible more than reading about Bible, because I believe that's the source of truth. And I learn a lot. I learn a lot, and I, every time that I read Bible, I realize that there are deeper stuff in it. There are more in it. I explain Bible as if it's like a window to eternity. It might be a limited window, but the perspective that you will get is too huge that if all your life you just move your head around it, you don't end up seeing details there. But what God is doing with my life is that he spent around, I can say around two years, molding me. I went through the persecution of the government. That is why I became a refugee in the Philippines. And there were, there were, there were sad times. They were like, no, I don't call it sad time. They were training time of the giving up everything, giving up my relatives back in Iran because they couldn't go back to see them anymore. But there were always one thing with me, and that was the joy that he gave me. In the biggest pain of my life, that joy was always make me stand up again. Whenever I felt down, whenever I made a mistake, we are all sinful. We never stop falling in sin. But whenever I go to him, he always said, put the joy back and like stand up. And what other ways, and what other ways have you experienced persecution? And what other ways have you experienced that, that pain that Yeah. I, I have to say that basically for any Muslim who become a Christian, there are two types of persecution. There one is from the government, the other one is from the Muslim community by themselves. For my family, my sister was the one who went through the persecution of the family and opened the way for it. But for my country, when the, uh, it was a time that we realized that I'm, uh, because I'm a Christian, so they didn't want to renew my passport anymore. And the Philippine government was telling me that uh, basically my visa is going to expire in 15 days. So I had 15 days to leave the country. I still remember the time that my dad called me and he said, there is no way to renew your passport. And they, have to, they want you to come back. And I remember at that moment, uh, I supposed to teach in a Bible school. And on my way, I was telling God, how do you want me to preach with receiving this news? And I'm so stressed. And then again, he told me the same thing. Am I not your savior? And the other thing that he told me, if you have 15 days, assume that you have cancer and you're going to die in 15 days. What will you do? And I told him, I will serve you as much as I can. I will bring more people to your name. And he told me, now you have 15 days. Will you appreciate 15 days that I gave you or will you ask me for more? And I told God, whatever you gave me is enough, even if it's 15 days. So I remember I asked my friend that let's pray that when I be back in Iran, I will be able to share gospel even if I have one day there. But God is amazing. God brought people to my life, people that I never knew. I was in a place, I was sharing my testimony. Somebody approached me and the person said, what's the solution for you? And I was like, I don't know what will be the solution for me. And that person said the day after, he brought me to the basically the head of European Foreign Affairs of the Philippines, a faithful lady who was a missionary in Laos for 10 years. And she told, she got my document. 
She got my document. She brought it to the Department of Justice, not me. And then she applied for a case for me. And I become a refugee in the Philippines. And I didn't do anything. And I remember the day that I got my refugee status. Jesus, I could imagine Jesus' face with a smile telling me, I told you I'm your savior. I told you you are in my hand. And I saw so many miracles of, miracles of God in saving me in different situations that I cannot believe. And I know that he's always with me. So there are times that the people were telling me, are you, aren't you afraid of, we are shooting the video, aren't you afraid? And I was like, if I want to be afraid, I was afraid the moment that I was going to pull. When I step inside the pool, there is no longer me. It's all him, and it's all for him. Well, so many, many American Christians have, have a fear response about building relationships with people of a, of a Muslim background. What would, you, what would you say to them, someone who has fear about interacting with a Muslim? My answer to them is always the same thing, and I always say that we have to realize biblical stand of God's love is for everybody. It is clear that God hates sin, but it's clear that God loves sinner. And it is clear that when Jesus said, go to every nation, he didn't exclude any nation. He knew there will be people who are Muslim. He knew there will be people who are atheists. Biblical stand. We have Christian, we have non-Christian. Muslim are going to the same place that Hinduism are going. Muslim are ending up in the same place that atheism are going. Muslim are ending up in the same place that even Jew who did not accept Christ are going. So if we think that God loves the Hindu, God loves you, but God doesn't love these people, then I, I believe you are telling that God, you created these people because he's the creator, but you don't love it. And that's not aligned with the God who called himself, I am love. The other thing that I always use is that if Islam is a sickness, if Islam is a problem, the first victim of this sickness are Muslims. Muslims are the ones who are being suffered the most because they don't know the truth. Now, if we are called to be the salt of the world, if we are called to be the lover, how will we treat them? I love Bible because I love Jesus. He said, love your God, and then he said, love your neighbor, but he completed it with love your enemy, pray for them. If if we think that Muslims are the most enemy that we have, then they should be the people that we should pray for them the most, because that's our command. I use this example of a friend of mine. He was a member of Taliban, Al-Qaeda soldiers. And then he became Christian, amazingly. He has a beautiful testimony, I met him. And he's now a missionary. I asked him a question, I said, how do you feel, how did you feel when you heard the news that Bin Laden is dead? And he looked in my eyes and he said, I had two feelings. First, I was happy because my country was getting free from a person who is destroying the country. But I cried because I knew 
He died without knowing Jesus. And I knew God wanted him to know Jesus. And in that moment, I realized that he's so true. God never excludes anybody, and God will never exclude anybody. But what we have to remember is that if we see that there is so many pain in the world, there are ISIS, there are so many terrorist attacks, it's maybe because we didn't tell them the truth. It's maybe because we are not trying to tell them the truth. If we work harder and we tell them the truth more and more, if we share gospel enough, then why other religions are growing? It is so amazing. I'm coming from Iran, and I remember a day I stand and I cry to God and I said, what about my countrymen? I cannot even go back to tell them the truth. And when I start helping with the persecuted church, and I read the news that Iran is the fastest growing Christianity compared to all Muslim countries, I went to God and I said, God, even if people cannot go there, you are there by yourself. When Jesus by himself appealing to the vision, going to the vision of the people, show them through the vision the truth, and they become Christian, how much more we have to do? So, so help us understand, Simon, when we see images of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups, how would, you, how would you help the American church understand to how to respond to that when you see videos of, of atrocious acts that um, ISIS or others in the name of, um, in name of their God commit? How do, you, how do you respond to that? What do you think our response should be to that? My personal response, always when I look at those things, I will realize Bible treated all sin equally. And Jesus said, why don't you see the wood in your eyes and you, you see other sin? I am a sinful person. We are all sinful person, but we put them aside. When Jesus said, do not judge, so you will not be judged. I always, when I look at them, I used to hate them. I used to be in pain, but God changed my heart in such a way. Whenever I see them, I go to my knees and pray for them. I pray for their salvation because what's the solution of killing those people? Sending more people to hell? We are not called to send people to hell. We are called to bring people to heaven. By killing them, by destroying them, we are just sending them to hell. By sharing gospel, by praying for them, we are inviting them to heaven. And that is what we are called for. Have you ever heard anyone, has anyone ever told you God doesn't love Muslims? Yes, I heard a lot that the people hate them. And I'm amazed, and I always ask them, how can you hate these people when God called us to love, when we are not allowed to hate anybody, no matter what, even our own personal enemy, then how can we hate others? I do believe a person who really knows Bible, a person who really loves God, cannot hate anybody. He will love everybody, even those who are doing these things. What do we do if, if someone listening wanted to, to, to really build better connections and better relationships with uh, someone, of a, uh, someone from a Muslim background? How, what would you recommend that they do? In my testimony, I pointed out that there is something big 
missing in Quran, and that is love. I do believe love is the biggest need of the world, and Muslims don't feel it. We are called to love. We are called to love as Jesus loved us. We are called to be Christ-like, and we are called to be with the sinner. And one of the sinners are Muslim, non-believer. So I do believe that we should show love. I strongly believe that no matter how a person is, he cannot reject love. And I always tell people, let them realize that we have something that they don't have. We should live a life that they say, I want what you have. We should show the love of Christ. We should show the joy of Christ in such a way that they will say, I want this joy. I want this never-ending joy. I want this never-ending love. There were people, there were Muslims who approached us and asked us, why do you love us? Why are you doing these things for us? And I answer, sometimes I bring them back to the Good Samaritan. And I tell them, this is the love that we are called to. And it's because of Jesus. It's because God loves us first. And that is why we can show this love to you. And that is the moment that they start asking who God really is. Well, Saman, thank you for sharing with us. I am just so encouraged by your story. And I'm, I'm honored to call you a brother in Christ. I'm honored to... Um, to serve with you. I'm honored to call you a friend, and we're so thankful for you, and pray many, many, many prayers of blessing over you as you continue to live out the calling that God has given your life. I'm honored to be, the, to be loved by God. I'm honored to have open eyes, and I'm so blessed by you guys. I'm so blessed by the people who, the family of Christ, who do not live for themselves, but live for God. And I'm thankful for being a blessing and encouraging to me. Well, thank God you. God bless you. God bless you too. Thank you.